welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Reliability X, George Williams, and I am really excited about today's conversation. You know, we have a lot of guests that have expertise in a specific area. We have guests that are good leaders. We have guests that have uh, journeys that are interesting. We have a guest today that you can learn a ton from in terms of leadership, in terms of tactical approach, in terms of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, I am super excited to welcome to Practical Reliability Tate Murdoch. Tate is the maintenance and reliability manager for a company called Spudnik. Welcome, Tate. Hi, George. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So uh, you are like literally a hero of mine. I've got a few heroes in the industry, um, and one of them being Paul Crocker. I've got to say you are on par and doing some amazing, exciting stuff. Um, so let's kind of dig right into it. First and foremost, uh, give me a little bit of background on yourself uh, as well as Spudnik. Okay. Well, thanks, George. That means a lot coming from you. Um, so I uh, grew up out here in, in Idaho, about 10 miles down from the plant that I'm sitting in today. Um, grew up actually on a, on a fifth-generation potato farm out here in Idaho. So my experience and exposure to Spudnik before was actually the customer before I was an employee. Um, growing up, we always we always wanted to be the ones that got to drive the Sputnik equipment because it meant you spent a lot less time fixing it, a lot more time in your air-conditioned tractor cap. So I did that uh, full-time for some time, um, really enjoyed that. Um, when it when it came time to move on and move on to something bigger and better, um, Sputnik was, was the place I wanted to be. Um, I had always been impressed with the culture of the company, with the innovation and the, what Sputnik was doing for the potato industry. So uh, that's where I went. Um, so Spudnik um, is a, we, we manufacture potato farming equipment. Um, pretty much everything you're going to need to plant, harvest, store your potatoes, transport them to and from the, transport seed to the field, plant it, bring it back in, clean it up, get it ready for, for processing or for market. And so we've been doing that for a little over 60 years now. Um, all been in Blackfoot the whole time. Um, we're about 500 employees as of the beginning of this year. So very fun company to work for. Lots of Lots of opportunities to, to make improvements and to make things better. We have a very good growth mindset culture out here, and it's a good place to be. Awesome. And so uh, what so what was the role you first took? How long have you been to Sputnik, and what was your initial oh. role? So I came to Sputnik actually as the recruiter. So I started out doing all of the hiring. So I, I helped um, hire positions uh, across the board from from uh, entry-level laborer to, you know, to hiring managers and and, and and, and engineers and all and all sorts of people. I did that for about a year and a half, and, I, and then I moved over into the maintenance department. I started running the, the maintenance department as the maintenance manager. Um, started that in October of 2019. I actually just hit my five-year mark with Spudnik total last year, or last week, so. Nice, uh, congratulations. Very, yeah, good milestone. Okay, so so you go from uh, HR hiring manager. Now you're you're thrown into maintenance manager. Any background in maintenance other than fixing the farm equipment on the yeah. farm at that point? Yeah, so farm equipment. So um, pump it full of grease till you hear the seals crack. That was actual instructions we got. Um, I can remember testing uh, oil levels and gearboxes with a sixty eleven welding rod. Um, so there's. Not a lot of technical maintenance training uh, going in. So I uh, came in knowing that I was going to have to do a lot of learning. Um, nice. 
So you come in, and obviously the first thing you got to do is kind of assess what's going on. Walk me through what the organization, the maintenance organization, and mm-hmm. maintenance uh, activities were like when you first took the role. It was pretty rough. Um, they had about three techs uh, when I started. Um, it was purely reactive. Um, just you know, the plan for the day was let's just put out the fires, and the what fires we chose to put out were basically came down to who was screaming the loudest. Um, it was a, a paper maintenance request system, which was really convenient because when you got a request you didn't want, you could just crumple it up and toss it in the trash can and pretend like you'd never seen it. Um, the techs, the techs were working, they were burnt out. I mean, it was, um, they were working about 65 to 70 hours a week on average, um, tons and tons of overtime. Um, you could, you could see that they were just burnt out on, there was there's just so much going on, so many things in the air. They never could get their feet underneath them. It was, it was pretty rough. Um, so pretty active organization. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, the PM program was was not existent. Um, we have a, at that point we had shut down at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and the thought was we could get in the three weeks between those two shutdowns we could get all of the maintenance for the year done. Um, and it just wasn't happening. It didn't work. Um, it'd be like brushing your teeth 30 times at the end of the month. Um, <laughs> doesn't really work that way. Well, it does for that day. <laughs> yeah. For a day, After that, no. <laughs> That's a great analogy. I love it. Okay. So you come in to the maintenance organization. What, what was, you know, man, there's a lot to do, right? Because everybody knows you came from the HR hiring position you've got to earn people's respect you've got to make connections you've got to be the boss and leader and maybe change things around a little bit walk me through your philosophical approach at the beginning there it was that first little bit i spent a ton of time working on the floor with the team um looking trying to get a perspective of what's what's really going on um trying to get to know that the techs as, as well as i could um we Took I, I we had a lot of opportunities to build trust at the beginning. Um, for the most part, the maintenance department was just wasn't really given any resources, and so being able to start by getting some resources and, and getting some some of the things that they needed, and some of it was just basic stuff like, hey, we don't have these tools that we need to be able to do these PMs, or can we can we maybe get some more people into the department and, and grow this to where we're not buried. Um, that really helped. We had we had a few people. Um, there was some text that it was pretty clear it wasn't going to really work. Um, they really didn't want to see any changes. I moved a lot of people's cheese at the beginning and made some people pretty mad by wanting to change it. Um, and so we at first there was a lot of we we made a lot of improvements, um, but it definitely definitely ruffled a few feathers. Um, it became clear that some people were going to make it and some people weren't. Um, one of the best indicators from my end about whether they were going to make it or not was one it was, are they willing to improve? Are they willing to try something different? But the big, the most significant factor was, is there was no transparency in the department. And so being able to being willing to open up and be transparent about where our time's going, what we're spending money on, like what our downtime levels are, what, what's needing to be fixed, how long equipment's down opening that up to get that info to the plant management and to the CFO and to the finance department that opened up a lot of trust and bought us a lot of resources and people. Um, so that was, that was probably the best indicator of who was, who was going to make it and who wasn't. 
It was the ones that were open to that transparency and the ones that, that didn't want that coming in. You Man, there's so many things you said that, that I want to touch on. First and foremost, um, you, you mentioned, well, I had to go work with, at the shop floor. I mean, I, I needed to be next to them. I needed to understand exactly what was going on, what their troubles are, what their difficulties are, how I can help them. <clears throat> improvement doesn't happen in the conference room improvement doesn't happen at your desk and you took a very hands-on approach so i love that and then the next piece you bring up is around that transparency uh, uh, you know people's ego tend to get in the way of progress and they they're either they're either comfortable look everything's fine so we're not touching this um or their ego gets in the way i know everything and so just leave me alone so i can go do my job but those types of folks are a cancer to the culture because if you're trying to improve, they're doing the exact opposite of that. I think, I think if you deliver it poorly, the knee-jerk reaction becomes, you're in my business. Why do, you, why do you need to know all this stuff? What are you trying to do? You're using this as a, as a tool to beat me up. Um, I think if you can sell it to your team as you guys are doing some awesome stuff, like I want to tell your story. Like, like what you're doing is already incredible, but nobody knows what's going on. And when there's, when it's just vague and they don't, you don't have a clear picture of what's going on. Everybody's kind of knee jerk reaction is, well, it's probably bad. Right? And so being able to showcase the good and say, here's, here's where you're excelling and here's where you're, where we're strong, what, what we can be proud of. They, they tend to take that a little bit better than, Hey, here's this time card. You got to fill it out. I want to know what you're doing all day, every day. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, so the transparency piece, and then you brought up um, we had to kind of shift some folks around. Um, mm-hmm. Had you know what was that like internally? Did you do any internal hiring? Find any talent? Like walk me through some of that. Yeah, moving people out is never is never fun, and it, it was it was uncomfortable. It was not a great you know. There's a lot of a lot of sleep lost over those decisions, um, especially because some of the people we had to get out were were very talented. Were technically pretty sound guys. I mean, a lot of them could fix machines when they when they wanted to. They could fix a machine very well and had a ton of knowledge. And so we had to we had to make some decisions as to our, our leadership approach and our and our strategy of are we going to be are we going to be held captive by uh, by talented people that are not team players? Or are we going to invest in the in the team as a whole? Um, so that that was part of it. We we hired internally uh, pretty heavily. We have found that, I mean, personally, I've always found that if there's there's people in the plant that, that a good natural next step for them is to move over into the maintenance department. Um, in the early days, I hired two people out of our assembly department. So they're the ones that were putting together our, our equipment. Um, and they were actually doing the electrical within that arena. And those those two became some of my best techs that I've ever had. Um, had, had good long runs. Both of them have actually since, I hired both of them in, like January of 2020, they have both since moved on to bigger and better roles within the company. One is over in our service department, who's out helping our external customers. And the other one, after about three years with me, moved back over into that assembly department to go be a leader and essentially bring in a whole new program where we're assembling the electrical for our machines. So really cool. Those guys grow. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. And then, you know, going through the maintenance organization to get an understanding of how important it is to, to, assemble that appropriately and avoid maintenance headaches, right? I mean, they, they get a good appreciation for what that takes. I think a lot of times um, we perceive a maintenance technician as being a guy who's turning a wrench all the time. And we want them turning wrenches all the time, 
But one of the keys to being able to turn wrenches so much and have that high wrench time is knowing the people in the plant, being able to have those good relationships. And the people that we hired internally had demonstrated that they that they had good relationships with others in the plant and could, could come to a solution and figure out a time to get a machine or could communicate well about what was going on with the machine and, and why it wasn't up yet or what needed to happen to get it back up. Nice. Okay, so we, we did the whole get the right people on the bus thing, right? Uh, you know, uh, yep. good to great. What was the next step? Next step, um, the, the biggest next step was to get some logistics figured out. Um, we, we would, when the very few times we'd be able to get a machine scheduled for some downtime to be able to go work on it, um, we would go to start it and then get the machine and get a phone call and say, we're missing the filter. We can't do this PM. You know, but we already took in the machine down. In a couple of cases, we already had the machine apart before they went to go grab a filter and realized they didn't have it. Super, super frustrating. Uh, you know, burns trust with with the with the technicians, burns trust with operations. Um, so we decided to go ahead and get our, ourselves a parts room. And so we, we previously it was this row. I could still picture it today. It was just these rows of like Durham cabinets just stacked up next to each other. And you had to be really careful when you opened it because if you turn the handle, stuff would come falling out. And it was like a 50-50 shot that the part in the cabinet was new. Um, we, in the early days, we were we did what we call, what we call internally Swaptronics, which is, I think it's this part, let's swap it out. Um, that doesn't work, let's swap out another part and we just swap stuff out until, until it starts to work. Um, which if you're in a bind and you have no other options, Sometimes that works, but it's not a great practice for uh, saving time or money. Um, but they got into the situation where, like, okay, this this part, we we pulled this part, but the machine still runs, so I think it's good. And so we'll we'll write good on it with a sharpie and stick it back in the in the cabinet. Um, but that that was what we had. There was there was no inventory. Um, back to the transparency thing from the finance side, maintenance was just this black hole. I mean, just just all these costs. Really, no idea what what's going on. No idea what's what's in inventory, um, and so we we hired a guy out of the uh, stockroom that had been working as the stockroom supervisor. So that was those were the people that were supplying parts to the assembly department. Um, we hired a guy named Jose, and and Jose essentially we brought him in and said, I want we we need to build a parts room, um, and I said everything you've ever wanted to do with a parts room to do it at 100%, like, let's go. We kind of asked for forgiveness instead of permission on the funding on, on that side, um, but we were able to show showcase some pretty some quick wins pretty pretty rapidly. Um, we were able to do a full physical inventory for the first time in the history of the department. Um, that was kind of an ugly adjustment when we had to cycle count stuff that had been gone for 10 years and go through that. Um, we, took a, we took a small area inside of the plant that had been kind of a catch-all rat hole little spot of the building that was just just floor to ceiling just junk when we got in there um and jose got it cleared out uh, we epoxied the floors put in shelving um, got a got the door got access to that room dialed in with an rfid badge so we know who's been in there and when got cameras in there and jose has just gone to town in that room and now we have we're carrying a little over eight hundred thousand in inventory in that room right now um our turns are, are looking pretty good if you discount our our larger like more you know one-off items that have long lead times um, our turns are, are looking really well um, 
we have he's cycle counting like he's averaging at like over 99 percent on his cycle count averages um so when we need a part it's there uh, everything is it's we can look it up in our erp we could either buy our internal part number or buy the vendor's part number those are crop referenceable which makes it easy to find parts and when we look it up we know how many we have we know what shelf it's on within the parts room um, it's been awesome. I mean, that has made a huge difference. Just the productivity um, alone uh, of not having to clean up the mess of everything that fell on the floor when you open up the door. <laughs> yeah. Like being able to get the part and go go fix the machine, right? Um, that's currently down is a significant amount of money back to the business. And then you've got the transparency of the costs and what do we own and where are we spending money? Lots and lots of benefits there. At, from a personal level for the technicians and mechanics and electricians, they now have it, like some faith, right? Now they've got a place to be a little proud of. It doesn't look like it's a mess. They see that somebody cared about what it takes to get their job done. That had to have a dramatic impact on how they saw you as a leader. I think that was always a big complaint is we never have what we need when we need it. Um, and they being able to deliver on that when and Jose did the heavy lifting. All, all I did was get Jose set up in there and get out of his way. Well, you I said mean, I, all I did, but the fact of the matter is a leader sets a vision and does exactly that allows talented people to do what they do best. Um, that's to me personally, I've always found um, maybe it's because I, I feel like my boss um, when the, the plant manager was we call it a production director, but it's a, it's essentially a plant manager. Um, when he when he hired me, I, I felt like I had in past jobs and in the past, I felt like I had been overlooked and nobody had really given me a, a real opportunity. Um, and when I got when I got this shot to come into the maintenance department, I was I was not going to lose it. I mean, I've given myself uh, hundreds and hundreds of pep talks going into work of like, this is this is your chance. This is your shot. This is like, like, make something of this. Like, And I've been so motivated to to meet that uh, expectation and to provide a return on, on my boss, giving me a chance in this role, that it's, it's extremely motivating to do that for others. Uh, you it's know, contagious. Jose, yeah. Jose had been in his role for a long time. Um, that was a very established department, not a lot more room for like, there's definitely always room for improvements, but they, they had a very established system, not a lot of change happening in that arena. And, and Jose was um, somebody who likes making improvements and somebody who, really enjoys that side. And so being able to get him in there and just say, go for it, man. Like, like do it, do it the way you've always wanted to do it. Right. And just, just go like, make it, make it awesome. Um, and, and it's incredible to see the results. We've had that with, with tons of people within the, within the plant. I mean, there's, there's probably somebody somewhere in your plant right now, if you're watching this, that's, that just needs a shot. That just needs somebody to take them seriously and give them a chance and they'll blow your mind. I mean, they, it's we've seen it. We had a guy that was had bounced from being a janitor and bounced across about 10 different labor laborer type positions um, that just wasn't working out. And they, they just kept bumping him down the road and moving him from department to department. We finally found his niche. We found that thing that, that worked for him. And we've had him for a um, little over four years now uh, in our department. Um, and he has been awesome. I mean, he, he handles all of our welder PMs now. I mean, we found that thing that worked out and everybody has their, their little niche that they're going to be extremely good at. And if you're willing to invest in figuring out what that is with that person, 
um, the returns are just astounding. I mean, just just invest in people and they'll they'll blow your mind every time. Yeah, no doubt. He wasn't in the right seat, right? I mean, if he's bouncing all over the place and people aren't satisfied and you found a way to give him self-satisfaction in the work that he does every day. And when you do that, people, they perform. Yep. That's awesome. Okay, so now you've got the storeroom organized. You've got the players in the right places for the most part. What's the next step in, in your approach? After that, it was the planner. Um, and we had actually kind of debated between a planner and a parts person, um, which one was going to happen first, which one was a better move. Always uh, we parts. Decided, Always yeah, parts. <laughs> I'm glad we did parts because um, you, can, you can have great plans, but if you don't have parts and specialty tools, <laughs> right, right, ready, right. it doesn't work. Yep. So we found a planner. Um, he was actually came from the nuclear industry back in, uh, back in the Midwest. Uh, his name was Kevin, and Kevin was our, was our first planner, and – he did a fantastic job in getting our PM program off the ground. Um, we, I very, Kevin did such a good job. I really appreciate having had him on the team. Um, we, we had never had a, had a real CMMS going. It's at one point, like five or six years ago, before my time, they had been using uh, asset essentials. They went through, they bought it. Um, they got halfway through setting up and then they just kind of gave up on it. And so there was a pretty bad taste in the mouth from the finance side and from the plant manager side with CMMSs because they just kind of looked at it as something big and expensive that was going to get half utilized and abandoned. Um, Kevin helped us be able to utilize the CMMS that was built into our ERP program. Um, and so we got that going off the ground. Everything in the every critical asset that we're maintaining got set up, we got serialized, entered into the system with, with recurring PMs. And we were able to optimize those. We have work instructions associated with that. Um, and for the first time ever, we had a plan. We knew what we needed to do. And that weight on on your shoulders of like, just I don't, if you've ever worked in a reactive plant, it doesn't have a, any kind of PM program. There's just that feeling of like something somewhere needs some lube. I'm not giving it to it, and I'm going to pay for it next week. Like it's just that there's something out there that you're missing that's going to come by you. Um, that, that feeling of that weight off your shoulders, getting a planner, of knowing we're 99.5% compliant on our on our PM schedule, and that half percent we're missing is stuff that we're comfortable with with pushing that we're with, you know, that might even be a better move to run to fail in certain circumstances. And but that that really took a weight off the shoulders. The planner now is able to to schedule the PMs, assign them to technicians. Um, the parts person is actually pre-pulling all the parts, so we've got these these Tupperware style totes um, with work instructions. Uh, and actually a QR code that links you to the work instructions and to uh, some post-maintenance work assessments on like condition of the machine. Um, all the materials you need. So the technicians just walk in. They know what they're supposed to do. They grab that tote. They've got everything they need in there. If it's a specialty tool, we've got it thrown in there for them. A um, lot less guesswork. Um, the technicians have a, have a feedback loop where they're able to give feedback into the work instructions to say, I, this part wasn't clear. Can you maybe can you dive in a little bit deeper on how to do this specific step in the PM? But it was fantastic. Um, at that at that same time, we rolled out a night and weekend shift. That kind of happened. At the, uh, we first hired a, a night guy, and then got our weekend shift going. Um, but between that, we were able to do a lot more of our PMs on the night and weekend shifts. Sputnik is does have night and weekend shifts, but they're not nearly as established as the day shift. 
So we've been able to get a lot more access to equipment outside of normal hours. And it's been great. A lot of, a lot of stress off of everybody's shoulders. Uh, we've seen our downtime go down considerably. Um, well, that's we had some, proof. that's the, the proof of everything, right? I mean, if you're making an impact or not, cause you can have a great, you know, you can put all the PMs you want in place, but if they're not effective, you're still having a downtime. So that's a, a testament that a you you're, you've got good PMs in place. B people are on board and actually executing the PM versus you know what sometimes happens, uh, and 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 you're seeing the benefits of of structure. Yeah, and it's been fun to see the organization. I think um, one of the things that that I wish I would have known earlier and had more faith in earlier was just process. Um, Every time we have a hangup and have a problem, it's, it's an opportunity to just figure out and implement a process. Um, we did that with the parts room and, you know, we used to run out of consumables all the time in production. We'd get a phone call of, oh, this laser, this CNC laser is down to its last nozzle. When that nozzle burns up, machine's down, vendor can't get us one for four days. So we're gonna have some downtime more than likely because we're gonna run that nozzle out. And, but we created a process and just moved all those consumables into our parts room. So we're managing that for, for our fabrication department. And that's really helped. But we, we, we took a problem. We figured we got the right people in the room, set a process up to how do we make this not happen anymore? And we shift a lot of our focus from instead of like beating each other up because something is wrong, you know, um, we've shifted a lot of that to just, okay, we lost, but how do we win the next one? Um, I kind of have a personal saying of, you know, I refuse to be embarrassed about something I'm actively working on fixing. Uh, let's let's really just have that that mentality of winning the next one. What process do we need to get in place to so that way this this problem that we face today doesn't happen again? Um, just doing that in, in baby steps. Um, that's it's 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 worked out. It's been a strategy that has really worked out for for us that we we enjoy using. That's what continuous improvement is. And a lot of folks take issues and they boil them down to the physical entity or the human error, and they don't really get down into the systemic issue of not having a system and process in place, right? And you're eliminating those issues. That makes them go away pretty much permanently, right? The probability of running out of that part now that you manage it in the storeroom is pretty much gone. Uh, and, and so it's interesting to me that there's this balance between the people side of things and the structure side of things. And in order to enable people to be successful, that structure still needs to exist. And people don't like structure so much because they don't think it's in their best interest. But ultimately, once they're used to the structure, they can't live without it, right? I mean, could you imagine going back to the old storeroom? And, our, and what the response would be from your technical staff? Well, yeah, our, our parts planner went on vacation, or our parts specialist went on vacation. And we, he, and he's great. He gave me three months notice. And he's a super organized guy, which is why he's a very successful parts specialist. But we had three different spare backups. We were not about to go without having having our parts guy. It's just, it's it's indisposable now. We can't, they're indispensable. We can't can't go without it. Okay, so you're starting to put some structure in place. You're working on some processes um, and putting procedural stuff in place so that there's structure to the organization. Ooh, let's focus. Let's go back to the people side of things. Yeah. How did we enable their success? Um, one of the big things, so we're, we're, we're readers out here in the Sputnik Maintenance Department. We love to read. We actually have a Department Audible account 
um, that I, I add books to every month. And we're, we're always, everybody on the team is reading a book at some point. But one of the, one of the first books we like to have everybody start with when we go to read is Radical Candor by Kim Scott, um, which talks a lot about, you know, having a, a culture that, that drives constructive feedback. Um, and so we were very, we're very interested in making sure that our people know that we care deeply. And because we care deeply about them and their success, that we're going to challenge them directly. You know, I, I still think my team is the reason I, I come to work. Um, they're, they're what makes me pop out of bed at six o'clock, ready to go have another day here at Sputnik. Uh, they are, they're what, they're the people that make it worth coming in. I mean, it is, it's, I just, they make, they have, have a smile on my face when I see them. They're just the best team. Everybody says that they have the best team ever, but somewhere out there in the world, there is the best team ever. Um, and I think I got it. Uh, nice. But, um, but these guys, um, I, we, we try to make it clear that like really my number one priority is to make, help them become the best versions of themselves, you know, personally, professionally, and technically. And, and a lot of times in that order, I mean, it seems like on the, the people side, when they know that you're invested in helping them be successful, it becomes so easy to have that feedback flow to say, Hey, I want you to be successful. Um, but for that to happen, here's something that's not working that you're doing right now. We've got to, we've got to figure out a way to fix this and make this, this work better. Um, and there, and it, and it goes both ways because they know that because they have that trust that I want them to be successful They're I feel like they're pretty comfortable giving me feedback to the things that I'm doing. That's not making them be successful and having that, that free flowing feedback has been fantastic. So when we get a new guy, we're pretty, we put a lot of effort into getting to know them and to helping them like feel some trust um, that we got their backs uh, and that they they have the room to make some mistakes too. Um, in the early days, uh, when I was first came in as maintenance manager, we had a problem with one of our CNC press brakes. Um, and there's a PLC that controls all the safety circuits in that machine. Um, we have three of a, that identical uh, unit on the floor and one of them had that, that PLC go down. And so we were in the troubleshooting phase and I told my boss, I think this is it, but I'm not sure that it's the board. Um, he said, well, do what you can to, to figure it out. The, the board was back ordered like 12 weeks. So we were kind of desperate trying to figure out a solution. And so in my head, I said, I can pull the PLC from the brake next to it. That's just serial numbered one after this one, pop that into this other brake. And if it starts to run, then we're good. Um, well, long story short, we had a problem with the input on that PLC. And I took the board off of a running one and put it on and smoked it. So we went from one down to two. Um, we had the boards were $10,000 a piece. Um, we had, it was a long lead time. So I just like out of the frying pan into the fire with this situation just made it way worse. Yeah. And I remember thinking, well, six months, that was a pretty good run in maintenance. I figured out a couple. So um, called the boss, told him what happened. I mean, very, very nervous, kind of with that holding your breath, like, man, I guess today's the day. Um, and he, he didn't, he said, well, we learned a lesson, didn't we? You know, and he, he didn't fire me. He didn't yell at me. He said, okay, let's just figure out what we can do. Um, and from then on, I, my confidence and my trust in my boss skyrocketed at that point. I already felt like I had a high trust level, but when I knew that he had my back, that he was going to, to not throw me under the bus when, when I made a mistake, my confidence to try things, to, to push it a little bit, to, to do what I could to get that machine back up just, just went through the roof. Um, so 
yeah, we talk about empowerment all the time as a company. And uh, recently I, I did a presentation for uh, the Empowering Pumps Conference. And one of the topics brought up was empowerment. And, and for me, you know, empowerment takes a lot more than just the company saying you're empowered, right? I mean, boss gets in a room and has a bunch of people and says, hey, I want everybody to know that you're empowered. And that's all well and good, but that doesn't create empowerment. What creates empowerment is when the people who hear that can accept it, right? And in order to accept it, they have to have the confidence to act on it and the skill set to act on it. But then they also have to have the, 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 the belief system, the experiences that should they make a poor choice, that it will be still okay. And, and that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we get better exponentially, right? We have to have experiences. And, and sometimes those experiences are negative experiences that add a positive through, through learning. But if people are not comfortable that the organization will accept failures, uh, that empowerment it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And, and, you know, you learn that early on and you're conveying that to your own people. I think there, there will be an opportunity to, um, if, if you've ever uh, highly recommend reading the book, The Power of Moments, it dives into how people experience uh, things and what they remember about experiences like down the road and how experiences like affect them. Um, and there's going to be a moment when your tech does something like what I did with that press break, you know, clear back. I think that was in like 20, 2020 when I did that. Um, like there will be a moment. There'll be trust will either be built or, or gained or lost. And a lot of and it just kind of depends on, on how you handle that. And I I'm fortunate to have a boss who, who who did that, who gained that, did something to help me gain that trust. And and I make it a point to to try to do that for, for my people. I mean. We're not perfect. We still make mistakes all the time. I mean, we we ha we connected on accident. We connected a we have we have porta coolers all through the plant. It's summer. We're getting into the 90s out here. We have these porta cooler humidicell fans that we can put out that cool a shop. Um, an area needed to be able to connect to one of those to fill it full of water. And I had a newer guy. He connected it, but he connected the water to the fire suppression system. And as soon as Someone started filling that portico. We set off the fire alarm and evacuated the whole building. Um, and so we had we had a moment where I had this tech. I can we, yeah. can we go yell at him and say I can't believe you didn't know or I can't believe you how how could you do this? But at the end of the day, he just didn't know. Um, uh, Hendrick's precision. Uh, Mike Turrentine has a saying of nice. a man don't know, man don't know. Um, and sometimes they just don't. And you can choose that. Like that moment can either be something that helps you or hurts you. Um, it's already happened, so let's 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 use it for good. Use it as a chance to build that trust for that tech. They know you got your back, um, and we'll we'll make it right. We'll fix it. Nice. So uh, you mentioned Hendrix Precision, and uh, they they're just an awesome awesome outfit who provide amazing technical training um, that is you know applicable immediately. I mean, they're bringing the equipment in yeah. for you to work on. It's, it's really, really top quality training. What were, what was your approach on technical skills and the enablement of people to be successful there? That's a great question. Um, that kind of happened pretty early on, um, within that first year, uh, in maintenance, we started sending people out to train. Um, we have, you know, and we haven't really covered Sputnik's equipment side, but so cellular, produ cellular production, 
tons and tons of sheet metal forming and welding, painting and assembling. Um, but we have a lot of specialty machines like CNC controlled uh, sheet and plate cutting lasers, press brakes, you know, CNC mills and lathes, um, some surface prep equipment. And so there's a lot of specialty stuff that the, the techs don't have a lot of exposure to. And so we started, we started training, um, put a lot of focus in training. Um, I think we did more training in the first two years in maintenance than the previous 20 combined. Um, not a lot of training going on before that. Their training budget was tiny. Um, the one thing that uh, I learned from my CFO, uh, from Jared, was if you have a training budget, you better use it. Um, and as we looked through our, we looked through our budgets for like the last ten years, and they were giving them money for training, and they weren't utilizing it. And it was interesting to watch that budget get smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, the the one year they had ten grand in it, and then the next year they didn't touch it, and it went down to eight. And they didn't touch it, and it dropped down to six. Um, and what was interesting is we started using it, and then some. Um, I kind of took the forgiveness versus permission approach on a few of those. Um, overshot our training budget, which was actually kind of a personal goal that first year was overshoot, overspend on training. Don't uh, say that publicly, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but what was interesting is we overshot on training, and the next year the training budget got bigger. Um, of course. We did it again, and it got bigger, and definitely I'm, it's not necessarily a strategy we're utilizing anymore because I feel like we have the appropriate size uh, training budget for the department now, but we pushed it. Um, and it's it wasn't all just like send somebody out to, to a vendor to go learn how to work on this CNC machine. Um, we utilized things like Hendrix Precision um, to go get some of that rotational equipment. We sent guys out to go get their MLTs and MLAs, um, but we also did a lot of in-house training. Um, we have a thing we call peer training that we do on uh, on Thursday mornings, which we just assign somebody on the team to take a half an hour and do a deep dive into a topic that they have some expertise in. And it could be anything. We've done peer trainings on things from like, um, we just did one a little while ago on how to get forklifts unstuck. We have a lot of gravel out here and forklifts get stuck all the time. And so we took a deep dive into a proper way to get a forklift unstuck without getting somebody injured or doing it safely without damaging the machine. We've done them on um, specific machines on, you know, I had to do a significant or somebody had to do a significant repair on, on this laser a few weeks ago. Let's do a peer training on it next Thursday and get the rest of the team in the loop. What's been really cool about that is it's brought down the, the walls that the techs put up about how much they know and what they're capable of. We're willing, they're, they're willing to be a lot more vulnerable, um, and we are as a team because we're willing to admit what we do and don't know because that's like I think that's the first step to really being able to truly learn and grow is being able to admit you don't know everything. Um, and so we push those peer trainings pretty hard. Um, it's been very exciting to see that that grow and develop. We've been doing that for several years now. And I mean, I learned how to TIG weld through that peer training program. Um, I've always that was a bucket list item growing up on the farm. We MIG welded and stick welded, but no TIG because we really didn't have a need for it. And um, and I literally are that first maintenance planner we hired, Kevin, um, had worked as a TIG welder for years and years. He had 30 plus years of TIG welding experience. And like two or three summers ago, he got me, got me to where, I mean, I'm not a great TIG welder, but I can at least like put something together now. Um, and so I feel like the techs get the opportunity to pick up new skills each week. Um, and it just gets that continuous learning mentality kind of ingrained into the culture. It's been it's been fantastic. We really enjoy that. That does a ton of things. And, you know, here's just another great 
idea for folks and in, in what you're presenting here that is easily applicable to anywhere, right? A, it, it allows people to do some public speaking if they ever do want to be the maintenance manager or move into another department, take a leadership role. They're a little bit more comfortable talking in front of a room full of people. Two, it forces them to do a kind of an inventory of what they know to make sure it's all accurate before they present, right? So they become even more of an expert in what they're about to present by teaching others how to do it, right? And, yeah. and then, of course, the benefit of everyone else gets the learning. So there's like there's just a, no reason people shouldn't be stealing all of your ideas and applying them immediately. Um, if, if you have, and I know there's a lot of people that have small training budgets. Um, if you're in that situation, my number one recommendation I can make is, is Kahoot. Um, Kahoot is an online uh, quiz making platform. It's actually used in education. If you don't know it, your kids probably do it because they've probably done it at school before. Um, but they, it's, it's essentially you can make these custom quizzes um, as long as you want. You, you, you put them up on the screen in the shop. Everybody can log in on their phone, and they can answer the questions. Um, and we, we do a Kahoot's probably about twice a week within the department. We're, we're on like the Cadillac Super Deluxe version that lets us ask a bunch of different questions, and I think we're paying 700 bucks a year. Um, but we do that about twice a week. We have a question bank with over about a little over four to 500 questions that we, we pull from when we go to do this. Um, and it, it's awesome because we just, we ask 10 questions about twice a week. Um, and it's everything from safety to what it like asking questions about who, do, who's in what role. Um, you know, we even have somewhere we'll have a picture of a person from the directory and just says, who is this? What's their job? Um, just, just awesome. Not even just that technical side, but things that where we can really focus on just, and there is, there's tons of technical questions. You know, we do stuff like converting a good example would be like converting, uh, you know, Newton's Newton meters to inch pounds or bar to PSI, or, you know, what type of fitting is this is, do you have to put, do you put, uh, you know, do you put Teflon tape on a JIC fitting? Yes or no. Um, tons of questions like that. It's really brought down that, those walls and, increase that uh, level of vulnerability. The best part about this training isn't necessarily the question that you ask. It's that 30 to 40 seconds of group discussion after you ask the question and, and the answers pop up and you see who was right and who was wrong. Um, then it gets a chance to be like, oh, I never never knew that and I never picked that up. Um, the technicians are free to, we actually have them add questions into the question bank. They email me those. I get those emails a couple of times a week of people saying, Hey, I thought of a question for the Kahoot. That's great. And so it's been great. We really pushed that, that just that constantly learning mentality into the department. And I, I feel like it's opened up our options for who we can hire as well. We're not necessarily held to this, like we have to bring in somebody that's super technical. We still need technical people, but we we have enough technical people and the, the rate of progression on the technical side is allowing us to hire more for attitude. And, you know, George, you have a saying all the time that's, you know, hustle beats talent every time. And we're believers in that. Um, and so we found that if we can find somebody that just has the ability to learn, we can take them from there and we can we can help them grow because, and, and it, it's paid off. I mean, you still have to have some technical people. You can't, you can't go hire 20 kids out of the KFC window at the drive-thru and say, you're coming with me, you're working in maintenance now. You still need to have some of those technical people 
But once you can get that strong technical base, it allows you to bring in some of those new guys and, and give them a shot and bet on some underdogs and give them opportunities to to grow technically and to, to make a career. I love the Kahoot idea. <laughs> Just another easily applicable approach that adds a lot of value. And it adds value because people are learning. It adds value because of the camaraderie and discussion that takes place and the additional learning that takes place in that discussion. It adds value because there's internal competition on who's going to be on the platform at the end of the Kahoot. Um, it, so there's, and you're starting to develop a huge question bank that allows people that are newcomers coming in to quickly, easily learn all the things you're asking them to learn and prove that they've learned it because they got to show some results. Like there, gee, I, like you've got so many of these things I love, love, love that people need to immediately implement. Um, yeah, I think that's just unbelievable. So and it's, it's pushed me as well because i have to come up with 10 more uh, 20 questions a week um i have to sometimes we'll recycle old questions if, if i have a thing that we have a problem with that i want to go away if i have a thing like a gap in knowledge that i'm like we've got to get everybody to figure this out i'll ask the question 10 times in a row because by the fifth time they all know it and they're i mean it is it is drilled into their heads but it doesn't feel like you're bugging them about it it's just it's part of the Kahoot experience. Right, right, right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And you can always revisit those questions because they're in your question bank, right? Just to kind of make sure and reinforce those things. All right. So we've got organizational structure. Put the right people in place. You, you had a vision of we're going to be a, you know, a world-class maintenance organization and not have downtime and meet our customer demand and, and throughput in the plant. You've put the right pieces in place. You build some structure and capability in the storeroom, some structure in process and planning to have, uh, you know, a good PM program. You have assessed gaps and and invested in your people, both uh, formally at an expense, right, like bringing somebody in to do formal training, and inexpensively through the whole Kahoot approach just unbelievable, unbelievable approaches to what you're doing. And I, obviously, I, it, it, talk to us about what you're seeing from a, and what I mean by the difference between looking at individual stepped incremental improvements by somebody and what's happening now that the whole team is cohesive and whether or not you're seeing that in a, at an exponential level. Um. One thing that's really helped us with that is we are doing one-on-ones as a team. Um, that's another thing that I just I can't recommend highly enough. Um, I have one-on-ones with with the plant manager that I report to. I have one-on-ones with the with my direct reports that report to me, and I've got them having one-on-ones with the people that report to them. Um, we also utilize a, uh, a skills matrix that helps us to see, you know, we're able to rate Georgie actually gave me a lot of help in getting that off the ground, um, getting this skills matrix off the ground where we can take each individual tech and rate their, their skills and where they're at. Um, it helps us identify where, where they need training, where they can grow, um, where they have opportunities to pick up more things. Um, and then it also helps us identify where, where we need help as a team. You know, we'll see as a team, we're actually pretty strong on the electrical side. Um, you know, we've got some good electrical troubleshooters, 
but man, we get our butts kicked every time we go into a hydraulic problem. So let's let's spend some energy on let's throttle back on electrical training for a minute and put that effort into hydraulics and just try to even up our our skill set as a team. Um, I think getting to have those conversations with the people on your team about their career and about their growth and their their personal development. Um, those are those are some of my favorite hours of the week is when I get to spend the time doing those one on ones. Um, it's good to see them understand. It's good to see them reach the goals and the places they want to be. We're big fans of uh, what we call growth plans uh, in the maintenance department. Um, so we'll have techs. You you always have those people that that are are looking to grow. Um, you know, have somebody that you you do a review. You'll give them a, a you know their their pay bump with their annual review, and and you can just you just can tell that there's they 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 want more and they they're wanting to push for more and instead of making them wait till their next review we kind of we put them more in the driver's seat and we we do these things called growth plans where we will line out a a, a thing that the technician can can improve on that's going to help the department help themselves and we generally will set a clear goal with a clear finish line clear deliverables and say if you can hit this you know we could probably we can swing another 5% we, we put it down in writing to where it's clear we get the director approval um, so that way it's it's going through all the appropriate steps um, but it's been really cool to see the team they feel like they're in the driver's seat with with their career um, where they, they want to get to and where they want to be um, and it's been interesting to see those guys they've accomplished some incredible stuff things that have really moved the needle for the department um, oftentimes by, by, those uh development plans or or um your growth plans they're a lot more important within an organization than people realize oftentimes people do these annual reviews where they review the annual goals and the development plan is a little piece of it and they think the development plan is i'm going to read this book next year um and no one ever checks on that no one ever follows up on that no one really it's not driven by the employee and, and that's the side of the annual process that should be driven by the employee and supported by the employer and by the mm -hmm. leadership team because it does create growth even if it's not a technical maintenance-related request. Maybe they want to join Toastmasters so they can become a better presenter for you, you know, whatever the case may be. You, that's still growth. It's personal and professional growth for that person. And, and the investment there means something to the employee. On the other side of that spectrum, the whole goals thing, annualized goals never really work, and the way people get measured is just atrocious. But you've taken a different approach. So internally, inside Spudnik at the leadership level, they, they use the Rockefeller approach, right? So it's the corporate rocks that get down into departmental rocks, and departmental rocks get down into individualized management rocks you've taken that approach down to the technical staff level is that right yep. so every every person that works for me has has rocks so we got, i have to give a quick shout out to jamie utley um with allied business consulting he's been our our, our leadership side coach within within spending he's done a fantastic job um with the from the top down with all the maintenance leadership getting them speaking the same language um really appreciate you jamie if you watch this um it's been great um but this this approach is where we focus on these 90-day rocks. So we're going to pick, and this is from the top down. This is from the CEO down to clear from within the maintenance department, from the CEO clear down to like the the guy that's been on my team for three months. Um, 
but we we pick a direction, a thing we're working on, and we are going to we're going to come up with something we can do in the next 90 days to move the needle to reach that larger goal as a team. Um, Patrick Lencioni has a quote that says, "If you can get everybody rowing in the same direction, um, you're you're essentially going to create a team that's unstoppable." Um, that, that's the guy who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, it's it's a it's a fantastic quote, and we we really apply that with the rock side, but we set something up to where we have a, we have a rock setting event at the beginning of the quarter and we get up there and brainstorm. And I'm I, mine is this Thursday with my team. Uh, we're, we're going to be setting our quarters or our rocks for this coming quarter. And it is like the, the funnest meeting of the whole quarter. I, I look forward to it. Um, it is, it's just, it's just a great time. We, we, we present on the rocks from the last quarter, but then we dive into, we get the whiteboard out. We have a discussion about saying, guys, there are no ugly babies. We are going to, here's our problem. Here's the thing we're facing as a department. Let's come up with, with things that we can do to address this issue. Sometimes we take the inverse of that and we'll say, here's a goal that we want to hit as a department um, that's going to influence production, that's going to move the needle for the company. What are the obstacles that we're going to face for us to get to this goal? But we start brainstorming and we'll fill a whiteboard um, in, in about an hour just with just tons of ideas. And we're not trying to, to go into the nitty gritty, but just high level, you know, if we're going to build, if we're going to build 30% more machines in 2024, you know, what's, what are we facing? We'll say, well, this one machine's having some trouble. We maybe need to look at getting it replaced. Um, we need to start carrying more parts in the machine shop because it seems like we're getting some downtime from not having parts, but they'll go into all these, these details. And then what we'll do is we'll, We'll pick each person on the team. We will line it out and say, we're going to find a thing we can do within the next 90 days. We're going to clearly define it. Um, kind of like that growth plan, we're going to clearly define some deliverables, a finish line, how you know it's done, what we're going to get from it. And then we walk out of there and we go get it done. Um, we push that 90-day rock. We, we report on it. We hold each other accountable. Um, what's really fun is after everybody sets their first rock, they generally way overshoot it and have to move a mountain to get it accomplished. Um, so then we we have a really good feedback system where we actually, I, I had the team challenging each other, like, can you really do that in 90 days? Or is that really relevant to the situation that we're, we're in right now? Um, and the, they, they kind of self-correct. Um, it's been really fun. We've had some crazy rocks, um, things that have just really, really moved the needle. Um, Beginning of, of this year, I got asked to also take on our belt-to-chain department, which is where we produce the, the chains that go onto our equipment. This is what the product will flow across. It's kind of a consumable, so we move quite a few of these chains, but we had a process in which we would dry these chains after we put we had to put, dip them in paint and set them on a drying rack, and we were about a five-hour dry time um, before we could handle these chains again, which you know increases the lot size as it gets into large batching. Um, one of the guys on the, the team that was an operator, his rock was to find a way to speed that up. He thought he had some thoughts about maybe putting some fans on him to see if we could get him to drive faster. Um, because of Roger's rock that he set, um, that was his idea that he drove. Um, we've created an air assisted drying rack and we've got that dry time down from five hours down to about 45 minutes. Um, and that was driven by, from the, from the operator level up. And that's just one example. We've had a lot of really cool projects come out of rocks. And, um, and just the fact that you now have, um, as you'd mentioned, you kind of have this whole other department now because you were so successful on the maintenance side. 
but it allows the fact that your team is now sustaining and uh, and I don't mean that uh, from a maintenance perspective I mean sustaining the culture they are driving it internally because they're hungry for it they're developing their own rocks they're doing their own learning they're managing their own um, plans growth plans this is this allows you to then take on a bigger responsibility within the company because while the the roller coaster you know once you get over the hump it it kind of does the rest of it by itself and that's where you're at i i just want to point this out to everybody you have created vision you have shifted the organization structure you have put in place the capability for them to succeed you have you have given them the tools to succeed. You've given them the skill sets to succeed. You continually challenge that skill set level and allow them to help dictate where it goes. You've put processes in place. You have uh, put in place mechanisms for them to be continuous improvement initiative people, right? That's what they're doing. And you've done this in four years. That, that's what I want everyone to hear because this is usually five to seven year journey and still gets nowhere near where you're at. Like well, people take this, this reliability journey very seriously and look at it like it's a gigantic mountain and you have methodically chiseled a pathway <laughs> right to the top of that mountain because people think all the, all the technical things are, are what's going to make the difference. And they spend so much time and money on how does this one component fail with, with no one at the floor level going, you know, this component is the problem. It, it's just a let's do them all thing. And they spend so much time in that technical realm that they miss the let me empower my whole team so everyone is solving these problems. And you had a very methodical way to get there and a very direct way to get there and a very successful outcome from that. And I, I don't think people should take that very serious. Well, they should be taking that very seriously. They should be listening to this podcast and reaching out to you directly or whatever they have to do to figure that out. Because in your environment and in any environment, You've done exactly what is necessary to get people to a tipping point where they run the department way better and way more successfully than any individualized leader can. It's I have a we we have a, a great like you know leadership team within the department. Um, my super the supervisor that I just that I hired that was kind of the last step we took was we actually we went everybody in the department was a direct report to me until. Um, about a year ago until I was able to get a supervisor in place, a supporting supervisor. Um, but I, when I got Donnie in place and got him set up, um, another classic example of somebody that, need, that just, he was just needed somebody to give him a shot and he grabbed it and he ran with it and he's done an excellent job. And, you know, Donnie and Jose and Anthony, so my, my supervisor, my part specialist and my planner, um, they drive, that's kind of my leadership group. Um, that next level of leadership within the department and they, they drive it. I mean, those guys, I spend a lot, I spend time in belt and chain, um, helping, helping get that off the ground as well. Um, building that team, but man, it's, 
they just run it. I, I feel, I just feel so lucky to have the, the people that I do. These guys, you, you get the right people in place, you get out of their way, you, you give them, you make them feel like they're driving and they'll, they'll take you places. As a leader, there is nothing that feels better than when that's the case. When the team is doing everything they can for the, for the benefit of your vision, because they are wholeheartedly believers and have the right capability and, and, and actual empowerment exists within the organization. I mean, that's just amazing. Tate, that like just completely amazing. Thanks, George. It means a lot. We still have problems. I want to clarify. Like oh, yeah, we still, yeah, yeah. we still, we still have tons of stuff we're working on and things we have to fix, but, but it's, it's been cool to see where we've come from. A lot of the mountains, um, things that were mountains uh, a couple of years ago, um, are done, are gone. Problems that we don't deal with anymore. Um, so, I mean, it's it's cool. It's baby steps. Um, you know, atomic. We we're big fans of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear of just just tiny tiny little improvements every day, stack up and add up pretty quickly over time. They sure do. Eliminate all the defects coming into your system, right? Yeah. And don't shoot yourself in the foot. So structure and procedures means don't shoot yourself in the foot. Continuous improvement means get rid of defects coming in. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so uh, we've got to wrap up. How can people are, – are you on social media? Do you go to any events? Are you doing any speaking? How do people get in touch with uh, with Tate Murdoch? Uh, LinkedIn's probably your best method. Um, uh, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn. If you do, If you do have any questions or – Anything I can ever help with, uh, my email is tate.murdoch at spudnik.com. You're going to regret more that. Than, You're going to get a lot of <laughs> <laughs> More than happy to share knowledge. Um, George, you were, you were a huge influence on me getting started. Uh, we've been, you've been my mentor for over a year now. Um, having somebody, I wish I would have understood earlier on that there are people out there that have been in your shoes, that understand where you're at, that can point you in the direction of the best practices. Um, I didn't see any, I didn't know there was anything out there. I had not been exposed to the reliability and maintenance industry until um, I had actually been in the job for a year or two. I went to Reliable Plant Expo in 2020. It was supposed to be the 2020 Expo, but I actually went in 2021. Um, that was where I actually met you, George, and yeah. one of your workshops and, and then signed up for mentoring and coaching after that. But, but yeah, if anybody ever wants to reach out, I'm more than happy to share the limited knowledge that I have. So. Awesome. Well, Tate, thank you so much for being our guest on Practical Reliability. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you and for you to tell your story that is just amazing and is going to add a ton of value to our listeners. So uh, thanks again, man. Thank you, George. Awesome. For Tate Murdoch, I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today.